Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com slash give. Enjoy the message. Hey, Timberlake Church. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. Actually, I am not here today. Uh, You're going to get the opportunity to hear from Mark Clark. Uh, The first time Mark came and spoke, people told me how they were challenged, how they were encouraged, and how they learned a lot. And I know the same is going to happen today as we continue in our series, Hope for the Holidays. Now, next week, I am back and I'm going to uh, be continuing this series. And then, of course, a week after that is Christmas Eve. And we have a bunch of different services uh, on our various campuses. And know that we know that uh, Christmas Eve that weekend and the weekend prior are big weekends here at Timberlake Church. And so I've been uh, praying and preparing for these weekends. I hope that you will come and that you will bring a friend. But now I know you're going to enjoy what God has to say through Mark Clark. Oh, well, good day to you. How y'all doing? Doing good? Good. Awesome. All right, Timberlake Church, good to be with you. Uh, My name is Mark, and uh, as Ben said, I am uh, I'm up. For, I was here in August uh, with you, so I don't know if you remember me. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. I don't know many of you. Holla, Canadians, been there, been there. You know it's a country, okay, with its own currency and all that. Uh, so good to be with you. Um, uh, if you got a Bible, Matthew chapter one uh, is where we're going to go. The notes are in your programs as well. Uh, ben said you're in the midst of a, of a uh, Christmas series, and so. I kind of thought, he told me the passages he was doing, and, and I thought, okay, this one uh, wasn't one that he was hitting, and uh, it's kind of a classic one. I'll read it to you real quick, and, to, and basically just kind of frame uh, some thoughts that I want to then unpack, because I was like, okay, what's there to say about Christmas to Timberlake, uh, Lord, kind of what, what, what can I draw out of this passage that might be unique or different that people need to hear uh, during the midst of this series, the midst of this moment of life, season of life for you here at Timberlake Church? And so um, let me read the passage as the backdrop and then I'll offer some, some thoughts. But really good to be with you again. Um, it says this, Matthew chapter 1 starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married uh, to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, 
He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So here's, here's the backdrop of, 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 of the whole season and what, what the understanding of God becoming a human being and everything that it means for us. And so what we got to understand first is that Christmas is not about kind of a nice time of year, nice and rich, and like, like, like Canadians are nice people, all right? We, we are nice people. We say sorry a lot. Uh, we, we kind of just kind of, we're middle of the road. We're not like super dogmatic people. We're just kind of like, how can everyone like us, right? We're like Switzerland. We're just neutral. And so we're te we tend to be like that. And so uh, what's interesting is this time of year, uh, I'm in Canada, and so we're about a generation or two ahead of you in regard to secularization. So I'm here from the future to tell you about where your country's going. Okay, so, uh, so nobody goes to church in Canada. Nobody cares about God. I, uh, I'll tell you about this in a bit, but I didn't grow up going to church at all. And so Christmas Eve, though, is a really big deal. People come to church Christmas Eve because it's Christmas Eve. It's kind of sentimental. It's nostalgic. It's ritual for people even who don't go to church. People in my city don't go to church. They don't, it's not even part of the ch uh, culture in Canada to go to church. I didn't grow up in a, going to church at all. No church, no Bible, no God. Not even Christmas Eve did we go to church. My family was agnostic, atheistic, against Christianity. And that was me growing up. And so when people come to church on Christmas Eve, the church like doubles in size. Like one night, just boom, all of a sudden everyone's at church Christmas Eve. And so we got to put on all these services. And people come and expect to hear a nice Christmas message, like a nice Canadian middle of the road, sentimental, glad you're here, let's get around the fire, you know, and what I do almost every year, and I can't believe it's still a surprise to people, is I tell them that, that this time of year really isn't about sentimentalism, that there's a scandal in Christmas, there's a confrontation about Christmas that basically says, if God actually became a human being, if this is actually true and he was conceived of the Holy Spirit in order to save us from sin, this isn't some nice story. This isn't some middle of the road. This is either the silliest thing we could ever do in the history of time. This is the dumbest holiday season you could ever think up, or it's true and you need to give your life to it. There is no middle of the road. I'm glad you put your nice pleated pants on and you're going over to grandma's later to cut up a turkey and pretend a guy who is God became a human being so we can all pass presents around and then you can move on with your life for the rest of the year. If that's why you're here, that's insane because what you should be doing if you really don't believe this is picketing the church not sitting in here pretending this fantasy is an actual reality and so I say that or something like it and then I get emails <clears throat> but that's true right that's true this is either the dumbest thing or it's true and you need to give your life to it and everything needs to change. And your work life and your money life and your family life and your marriage and your sex, everything about you needs to reorient around this being real or it's a sham and you shouldn't believe it. But don't put your nice pants on and say it's a nice time of year because it's a scandalous time of year. Now, there's no doubt it's a magical time of year. This, this time, we know it. This is magic time. All right, my, my, uh, my, my kids are up Christmas Day. I got three daughters. Eleven, no, yeah, you can pray for me. Three daughters. Eleven, nine, and six. They're up at 4.30 in the morning on Christmas Day. All right, it's like a horror movie. I like, I'm sleeping. I turn over, my three daughters are like, Daddy, wake up. It's like, ah, what are you doing in here? Right? And so Christmas morning is the morning I just take my time. 
right? I just like, hey, let's just chill, everyone. And the girls, like the presents are pulsating at them, right? It's like, come to me. And all three girls like sitting there, like, you know, children of the corn or something, just waiting. And I'm like, just taking my time, man. I'm like, let's have a breakfast, hand-pressed coffee, <laughs> you know, whatever. And then we bust out the, it's like, okay, kids, time to read the Christmas story, but not the short one from Matthew. We're going Luke 2, all right? We're, when Cur- the long one, when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And then I'm a pastor, so I got to unpack first century uh, context. I got to tell them about how the Senate worked, all right? And how the Sanhedrin, they're like, Father, stop it! Presents, right? Because there's something magical about this time of year. And the problem is we half get it because good things, and they're really awesome things. Family's a good thing. Uh, presents a good thing. Joy's a good thing. But good things can sometimes blind us from true things. And so our culture kind of half gets it. They, they kind of half get there where they start to realize that Christmas isn't about some stuff. And that's good. Like my wife makes me watch all these Hallmark movies, all right, every year, all right? It's like she records, I don't know how many there could possibly be of these Christmas movies, all right? There's like 50 of them. We watch them all the way into February. And it ain't a surprise, the plot's the same in every single one of these stories, all right? It's some guy or some girl who works in the big city who needs to come back to the small town and figure out the real meaning of Christmas because there's some lawyer or marketing agent and they've forgotten themselves and they come back to small town America and they get set right, all right? It's like, yeah, this is a real surprise, Jenny Garth. What's going to actually happen here? All right, Candace Cameron, I get it. I get where we're going. I don't actually need to watch this again. But my wife makes me say, no. This, these are all good things. It's a beautiful thing. It's a magical time. But they only half get it. Because true, it's not about sentimentalism. And it's not about marketing. And it's not about being a big wig marketer in a big city. And all of a sudden, you need to come home and love family. Of course you do. But they only half get it because they haven't talked about what it's really about yet, which is Jesus and the scandal, the, 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 the confrontation of it all. Because it is truly scandalous, this thing. It has to confront you. And so we have two people in the story. And two types of people in this room. We have the Marys and we have the Josephs. The Marys are the faithful people. The people who go, you know what? I, I, I receive what God is doing in my life and I want to follow it to the best of my ability. And notice how crazy her story is. She gets confronted by God and she does what he asks. Now notice, he doesn't like sit down and like have a conversation with her about it. He just thrusts her into it. Just like he doesn't go, okay, here's the deal. What would you think... If I impregnated you by the Holy Spirit, I know you're 14. I know you don't have a good social network around you. But what would you think? And then she went, let me take it to my community group. Let me talk to my parents about it. Like, there's none of that. It's already, boom, you're three months in. Go. Right? That's what God does. He interrupts. And if you're taking notes, write that down. He will interrupt your life. Over and over and over again. He won't even ask you. He'll just say, here's where we're going now. And the question is, are you faithful to what he's asking you to do? He interrupted my life many, many times. I had my life set. I was going to be a professor 
and a writer. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And so I, once I'd become a Christian and entered Bible college, my teacher said, I want you to do, I did my first lecture when I was 19 years old, which wasn't cool because he came and he asked me, he said, hey, you wrote a paper on this. You had these ideas that I don't want to steal from my lecture. So I want you to get up in front of all your peers and give them a lecture on this text. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. They all wrote the same paper as me. I'm not doing that because that's not the guy you want to be, by the way. Nobody likes that guy or hangs out with that guy in college. When you're 19, you're like, I know we all wrote the same paper, but let me tell you what it's really about. All right. So now I'm going to lecture you. And he goes, he looked at me and he said this, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, you're on three hours next week. And he walked away from me, thrust me into it. So I get this heart for scholarship. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a scholar. And I'm going to be a professor. So I move out to Vancouver. I get three, six months after I'm married, I move out to Vancouver from Toronto. I was born and raised in Toronto. Holla. Any Maple Leaf fans? So I move out from Toronto to Vancouver. We know nobody. Nobody's friends, uncles, brothers, anything. We know nobody. We got out there, we thought the, the lady who worked at IHOP wanted to be our friend because she was really nice to us. We're like, we could hang out with her. It's like, I think she just wants a tip, honey. It's like, okay, fine. So we move into this house. This guy, the first night we're there, and this was classic. We move out to Vancouver, we know nobody, but everyone's smoking weed the minute we get out there. Right, we're in the top floor of like a triplex and we're renting it. And my wife's like, what's that smell? And I'm like, that's the smell of high school coming through the vents. We had to move. It was like three days in, we're like our grocery bills through the roof. We're hungry all the time. We're always wanting chips. This guy's hotboxing our whole house every night. We got to get out of here. So I come out here. My plan was to do two and a half years. Some of you are like, I don't understand. Why are you hungry? It's like, you don't have testimony years. Uh, and so we, 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 so what happens when you smoke weed, you get hungry. And then, so... So uh, we're moved out here. I'm like, okay, I'm two and a half years here. And then I'm going to I'm gonna go to school and do a PhD. Because, and then God says, no, you're not. And I'm already out in Vancouver. I'm like, what do you mean you're not? He's like, you're going to plant a church and be a pastor. And I'm like, a pastor? No, not that. Because people are the worst. <laughs> right? Like people are the worst. People. I don't want to deal with people. Right? I, people are terrible. I, footnotes. Don't, don't criticize you. Footnotes don't cheat on their wife. Footnotes don't send you dumb emails. I like being in a world of footnotes. And I can just sit there in the quiet of a library and then get up and just teach and write. That's good stuff. People, my church knows it. I'm not a good pastor. It's like, <laughs> no, we're eight years in. We started a church with 16 people in a little elementary school. We started in my house and then moved to an elementary school gym because my house... And I just look at them, I'm like, you guys, you're a disaster. And I don't even, I mean, they, though, a couple of weeks ago, something went down in our church, people started emailing me, and they're like, yeah, you know, that wasn't a good decision, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, then fire me! I don't even care! <laughs> then I could go and do what I actually want to do, if you would just fire me. I could go be a professor. God will take you and what you think you want to do and he'll totally upend it and he'll totally interrupt you. And so we started this little church and just started telling people about Jesus and we got to about 150 people at one point and I'm like, look, I can't even be your pastor anymore. So just pastor each other. Like if something goes on in your life, I ain't sliding down a pole to be there for you. I got my own life. Figure it out. You be the church. 
goodbye, you know, whatever. <laughs> Just like, see you next week. And they're all like, what is going on? Because God takes you in all of your silliness. And by the way, I, you know, I don't want to offend you, but I totally do. And it's okay because I'm the guest speaker. You are all silly. And you're selfish and you're narcissistic and you're self-involved. It's called sin. You're depraved. You're far from God. Uh, Martin Luther defined uh, humankind in sin as homo incurvatus. Humankind turned in on himself. You have a curvature that is all about you. The universe revolves around you. That's who you are. Mary was the type of person who said, okay, I can punch through that and actually hear what God's telling me to do and actually follow it through. And some of us in this room are in that moment. It's beautiful. Others of us in this room are the Josephs of the world who are skeptics. And, and when Mary receives Jesus into her life, when you get confronted with the question of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ, you don't move toward him. You gravitate away from him. And you say, the only move that I'm going to make is away from Jesus Christ. Instead of having him in my life, I'm done. And he, he tries to divorce her. It's, it's actually, and they say he was so noble, he wanted to do it quietly. It's such a nice guy, right? Like, I'm 14. I have no social uh, financial network. I'm pregnant. And it's like, yeah, we're done. But I'll do it quietly because I'm noble. Because even back then, they knew where babies came from, by the way. It's interesting. There's like this chronological snobbery where we're like, oh, those ancient people, they don't know anything about science. And she's like, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. He's like, we're done. Because he knows he had nothing to do with it. And she's like, don't worry about it. It's from the Holy Spirit. And he's like, you're crazy too. <laughs> right? So he's a skeptic. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he, he's not going to believe. He grew up like I grew up. The first time I walked in church, I was 19. Uh, no God, no Bible, no Christmas Eve services, nothing. I didn't believe in this. My whole life, all I've wanted is evidence for anything anybody was ever going to teach me about God, faith, anything. It was like, I'm only going to believe this if there's evidence. My mom, when I was a, saw me uh, when I was 11 or 12 years old on my rollerblades going behind my buddy's bicycle, and I had this big rope attached to his seat, which is a great plan and he'd go around and we'd just like pick up speed he'd go really into close to the curb and I'd swing out to get as much speed as possible and my mom said you're gonna you're gonna get hurt you're gonna get hurt and I was like where's the evidence of this this is what kind of kid I was I won't believe anything without evidence where's the, I don't even understand I don't even believe what you're saying three weeks later no joke my buddy's going around the corner I swung out like this and there was a car coming right at me full speed and I just went oh I don't know what to do I'm gonna get hit by a car so I just went and I went down on the ground and I skidded along chopped up my whole back, all my legs, asphalt, and I stopped, and the car stopped over top of me. I remember looking up at the engine, and the first thought that struck my mind is, evidence, right? <laughs> right? There it is, that's what she's talking about, right? This woman actually might know a thing or two, right? And so I've always been that way. I was never going to believe in Christianity without evidence. I was never going to believe in it if, if it was, I was like Joseph, and some of you are like that. You're skeptics. You need actual, you're going to lean away from this whole thing. You're not going to believe in any of it yet. And here's what's beautiful about Christianity is it comes at us and it fulfills in the deepest possible way both the thinkers and the feelers, both the Marys and the Josephs of life. Because it comes, because here's the thing about us. Some of us, like raise your hand if you're a thinker. You're an analytical, yeah, you're a thinker. You're like, I need... Where are the PowerPoint presentation? What is going on here? There should be four points, all starting with the letter S. I don't understand, right? Where are you in the sermon right now? Are we halfway through? Are we a quarter way through? I don't understand. I got a thing to go to, right? That's what you guys, you're analytical. You're thinkers, 
all right? Others of you, how many of you are feelers? You're like, dude, whether it's true or not, I don't know. I just want to know that it's, that it's true in my heart, all right? That's what, you're feelers, man. And the beautiful thing about Christianity is that it fulfills both those realities. It says it's true, but it's also beautiful, right? Like, like in your marriage, there's, there's logical and there's emotional communication. Every marriage retreat I ever do, I take people through an exercise about logic and logical and emotional communication. Maybe this is the one thing you take out of here today to help your marriage. Great, that's a win. So logical uh, and, and emotional communication, meaning there are times when you're communicating as a husband, maybe emotionally, and your wife is interpreting it logically. And this is where communication breaks down right? Someone's speaking logically and another person interprets it emotionally. You can't do that. So the minute your spouse starts to talk, you've got to ask yourself, are they speaking logically or emotionally? Meaning logic is after information. Emotional communication is after affirmation. That's what it wants. And so let me give you a little test, okay? I'll do two or three examples. First example, your wife looks at you guys and says, walks out of the bedroom and says, you're going to a party. How do I look in this dress? Is that a logical or an emotional question? Emotional, right? First service guy's like, logical. I'm like, you're dead, bro. <laughs> and he was alone, of course. <laughs> because, listen, you don't, you don't think about that question. That is a question that's looking not for information, but for affirmation, right? She ain't looking for you to stop and go, hmm. You, you stop and think about that question, you're dead in the water, all right? Um, I don't know, like a five. That's not a good, it's like, yes, you haven't even looked yet. Yes, looks great, awesome. Okay, second question. Uh, where are my car keys? Logical or emotional? Logical. It's like, just data. Where are the keys? They're somewhere in the house. Now, Here's what you don't do. Don't interpret that emotionally, right? I told you not to buy that stupid pickup truck, right? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about right now, right? I'm just asking you where in the house my car keys are. There could be nothing, nothing emotional about this question. It's just data. We don't need to extrapolate. We don't need to get into anything about meaning. We're just talking about data. Uh, okay, third, uh, would you marry me all over again? Emotional or logical? Emotional. Man, you got, that's scary, that one. See, this is where I get in trouble, is I try to be logical. My wife's like, if I died, who would you marry? I'm like, oh, totally Sarah. I mean, uh, I've never thought about that. Why would I ever think about that? That's silly. If you died, what do you mean? I'd be a monk. What? I don't, what are you talking about, die? No. Logic and emotion. You got to be able to parse out what question is being asked right now. There are thinkers and there are feelers. And the reality is Christianity comes and it fulfills both those worlds in such a beautiful way because it says not only is this true, like when I started exploring Christianity, I needed scientific answers. I needed to understand as a 17, 18 year old kid when Chris Watt walked into woodworking class and I was 17 and said, you need to think about Christianity and give your life to Jesus. I was like, I got, I got massive philosophical questions. I got massive scientific, psychological, historical questions. Did this even happen in reality? Uh, was Jesus Christ even a historical person? 
um, the scientific issue, because I'm a scientific thinker. I ain't going to believe in Christianity unless it has some type of scientific integrity. And the more I started to explore Christianity, I began to realize that the scientific community is actually starting to love the concept of God, because for, for thousands of years, the philosophical conversation has been, whatever begins to exist has to have a cause. And so there was all this discussion philosophically of what was that thing that never began to exist? Like, what was that, the uncaused non-contingent, infinite thing. Uh, and most people say, well, we don't need that to be God because that's the universe. The universe has simply always existed. It's eternal. It's uncaused. It's infinite. And then, of course, all of that fell apart in 1929 when Edwin Hubble looked through his telescope and realized, no, actually all the planets, all matter, all time, all energy came into existence at a particular moment in history. And so now we know that the universe began to exist. Well, anything that begins to exist has to have a cause. The universe began to exist. Ergo, the universe has to have a cause, and that cause can't be matter because we know when matter actually began. It has to be mind. And I started wrestling through that. And then I started wrestling through the question of evil and suffering. I was, uh, I was 15 years old when my father passed away, 47 years old. I'm sitting over his casket asking the massive questions of life. Where did he go? Did he actually have a soul? Where does all of this end? And why, what am I comparing the universe to when I say I don't even like this feeling, it feels wrong? I began to explore the idea of morality and read C.S. Lewis and how he talked about the idea that the only way that you and I agree that something is morally wrong is because there are objective moral values. But there wouldn't be objective moral values if we were just all animals trying to figure out life because we would never deduce that murder is wrong, genocide is wrong, rape is wrong by just being animals because our cognitive faculties would have been developed through just animal instinct, not some kind of transcendent idea that says this is right and wrong. And if you you ever doubt objective moral values, by the way, just do what I did. I came from Toronto, so I wasn't a border town. But when I moved to Vancouver, everyone had like, I didn't know at the time, but there was two lanes. There was like the normal lane to cross the border and then the Nexus lane. How many of you guys have Nexus like passes, all right? Yeah, because you travel. So Nexus, for those of you who don't know, it's a special lane for privileged people who went in and got an interview and got a pass. We don't want any more of you to do it because then it's just going to get, you know, clogged. So it's really bad. Don't look into it. Um, but anyway, it's this lane, right, of people where it's just like, it's, so I pulled up to the border, it's three hours of cars. I look over, I see an empty lane. I'm like, well, I'll just do that. If you ever wonder about objective moral values, somewhere in the, the, the experience of humankind, we all decided that people who are breaking the law right in front of us and getting in front of us in a line is decisively wrong. Because I found out, I went down the lane and I'm driving down and I realize, oh, I don't have one of these passes. What am I going to do? And so right at the end, I just pulled in in front of a bunch of people. And all of a sudden, collectively, all the horns decided this is what's right and this is what's wrong in the universe. And everyone came against me collectively. All right? There wasn't like a subjective, well, you came from a different country, so you don't actually know that. It was like everyone agreed I was in the wrong. I looked in my rear view, and these three guys were directly behind me in a pickup truck. They'd just been hunting. Big guys. And they're... And I'm like, oh man, now here are the options for skinny dudes. Uh, if you're present in the person, you chop in the throat and run. But if you don't have that option, you have to act crazy. That's your only play. So that's the one I did. I put my car in park, got out of my car and walked up to their car. And I was doing like the crazy eyes. Like, oh, you want to go? You want to go? You know, go? And they all went, and they like did up their windows. Because they're like, this guy's nuts. He's crazy. All right, he's going to kill all of us. So anyways, at that point, I began to wonder, 
Why has humankind all decided together what is right and what is wrong? That's weird to me. And so you start to chase out your story. And all of you have a faith position. You all sit here right now with a faith position. You answer the questions of origins, meaning, morality, destiny in all different ways. Even if you're a Joseph, even if you're an atheist, you're an agnostic, you're a skeptic, you're a Buddhist, you're a Muslim. You're here and you have answers to these questions. And some of you, you've just got them over time by sitting around watching TV or sitting around the dinner table. You have things. My whole family doesn't think they have a faith position. They think I'm the only one with a faith position. My grandmother died Last year, I went back, and here's what they all said. To the person, they said, at least she's not suffering anymore. Really? How do you know that? How do you know that she's not suffering more? Do you have a... See, that's a metaphysical belief. You have a belief about the afterlife, that when people die, they stop suffering. That's a faith position. Where did you get that? Who told you that? You're just making stuff up from your own experience. You have no idea. That, we all have faith positions. The question is, what's the most historically viable one? What's the most philosophically viable one? What, what's the most theologically? And here, all the things, God breaks into all of your comfort and goes, now you got to deal with me. I became a person. That's the scandal. I come into your life and some of you are thinkers and you need to be like Joseph's and actually move toward him rather than away from him. And some of you are feelers like Mary, and you need to be like, okay, i got to figure this out in my life. But the reality is the Christmas story comes at us and it says, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to do something in your life that maybe you don't know about. Maybe you didn't expect it. But believe me, I'm still alive and well. You know, Pastor Shane talked about the idea that this isn't about something that just happened historically a long time ago. It happens now, in the now. God speaks still right now in the present. He is very alive. And I get reminded of this over and over and over again. I, uh, my wife and I were teaching at a marriage uh, conference a little bit ago, and we were driving up to it. We had a two-hour drive up to it. <clears throat> and we're driving up there, and of course, you know, what are you going to do if you're going to go speak at a marriage conference? What's going to happen? You're going to fight. You're going to hate each other, right? So on the way up there, we hate each other. So we got in some fight. I can't remember what it was. You said this. You said that. You quiet. You quiet. Whatever. So we're driving up there, and she does one of these. She does what she does. She goes quiet and looks out the window. All right, at the passenger, I don't know if you've ever had this. You've probably never had this. You know, guys, just look forward at me. Don't agree with anything I'm saying. So she looks out the window and just goes quiet, man. And I'm like, oh, man, I got a two-hour drive here in the dead quiet. Oh, so I sit there for 40 minutes. I'm like, so, you know, you, just, you ask some nonsense question just to get her talking, but she didn't buy it. Um, so, so I, sorry to ruin your secrets, guys. Uh, I was shopping with the ladies the other No, okay, okay. So um, I'm like, so what are this? Nothing, nothing, nothing. So I'm just sitting there just driving, driving. So I did something I haven't done in three years. I turned on the radio, like the old school radio in the car where like you just like hit a button and like beams come in from space. They come into this metal pole on the front of your car and like stuff happens like that you don't, you're not in control of. People talk and they, songs come on that you didn't ask for. Like it's the radio. Like, I don't know if you've heard of this before. It's a radio. It's really old. And so I do that. First time in two or three years, I've turned on the radio. I turn on the radio. And I'm not kidding you if you doubt the existence of God. The song on the radio was the song we danced to on our wedding night. Brian Adams. Right? And I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm listening to this song. And my heart just melts. I'm like, baby, I'm just, like, it's our, it's our wedding song. Like, out of all the songs we could have danced to, 
at our wedding, we danced to this. Out of all the songs that could be on the radio, in this moment of absolute anger and awfulness, this song is meant by the Lord to reach us and melt us. That's what's going through my brain. And I'm like, okay, so I'm like, baby, I'm sorry. And because she's further from the Lord, uh, <laughs> out of nowhere, I see her arm just come out and go, boop, and shut off the radio. Like, this woman is wicked. Dark heart, man. But if you doubt the existence of God, you got to look for him in the everyday. I mean, look at what he does. He comes to Joseph in a dream. He, he reaches through and says, here's what I want from your life. I'm still alive and well. I'm not some dead God. I'm alive and well in 2017, and I'll speak to you. But the question is, are you going to listen and wake up and do what I say? Or are you going to continue to lean away from me, continue to be a skeptic, continue to move on with your life? Because I want to do something massive in your life. I actually want to change you. I want to save you. Notice this. It says, verse 21, she would give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That is, by the way, your deepest need. Some of you, you, you come to church and you think your deepest need is that Jesus saves your financial problems or your marriage problems or your girlfriend or your boyfriend problems or your communication or whatever. Your deepest need is that he saves you from your sins. That's You are disconnected from God forever unless he saves you. Unless he, and, and the problem is, is we're all asking the wrong questions. Uh, at, my, at my own church right now, I'm going through the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in it for three years. So we just go through it, verse by verse by verse. And I get through half a verse. You know, you can understand why you're like, what, are you even, what is even, what verse are we actually on right now? What's going on? <laughs> because it takes a while to get through. So I'm going through. Last week was this two or three uh, uh, stories in a row where Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. And they're all trying to distract him. And they come up to him and they, who, who, hey, here's a coin. Who should we pay taxes to? You know, oh, you should pay taxes, you know, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and give to God that which is God's. What are they doing? They're asking him a political question to distract him. The next story is how many, uh, hey, if, if uh, this uh, woman married all these seven brothers, who's she going to be married to in the resurrection? What are they doing? They're trying to distract him with a theological question. This is what we do all the time. That instead of dealing with what Jesus is actually reaching into your life and pushing on you, and he's saying, give that up, move there, repent of this, do this, we go, well, but what about politics? Who'd you vote for? What about this theological question? It's all a distraction from the main question, which is, do you have your sin dealt with yet? When the guy gets lowered in Mark 2 and he's paralyzed, Jesus walks up and he goes, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, what? No, 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 we want him to walk. And Jesus is like, oh, because you're asking the wrong question. Because you could walk for the next 40 years and die and wake up in hell. You could come to church. You could get born in the church, serve in the church, married in the church, die in the church, have your funeral in the church, and still wake up in hell. Because the issue is you didn't get your sin dealt with. The reason Jesus came the reason he became a baby. And I know we, we, we sentimentalize it. We like send out Christmas cards we're like, Merry Christmas. And it's like a, a squirrel wrestling with a deer. And you know, there's snow and like a chimney puffing smoke out. And we're like, Merry Christmas, Grandma. And it's like, but then you like read the real story. And it's like a 14-year-old terrified 
it's Herod's killing babies. Put that on your Christmas card. That's the story, though. And then you read Revelation 12, and it gets all crazier because the Gospel of John, or the writer John, pulls back the veil and shows you in the spiritual realm what was happening at Christmas. In the physical realm, Herod was killing babies. But he said, let me give you the picturesque, metaphorical, spiritual realm version. There was a woman, and she was giving birth to a child, and there was a dragon waiting to devour the child. That's what's going on in the midst. Put that in the Christmas card. Woman in a stirrups giving birth to a baby, a big dragon. Rah, ready to kill it. Merry Christmas, Aunt Sue. Here's what's going on in the spiritual realm. Why? Because Christmas isn't sentimental. It's a war. That Jesus was born to win a victory over Satan, the dragon, in order to not only deal with your sin, but to actually restore and reverse every bad thing that's ever happened. That's the hope of Christmas. Some of you, if you're anything like my church, you've lost children. You've lost parents. You've lost spouses. You've lost loved ones. Even if you don't think Christianity is true, Christmas basically looks at you and says, you should wish that it was. Because Jesus doesn't only just kind of uh, come and defeat things. He actually restores so that every sad thing comes untrue in the end. Revelation 21, a new heaven, a new earth. He came and died on a cross, took on the wrath of God on himself, forgave sin. So that if we repent and put our trust in him, we actually get forgiven. But we also get restored. We get redeemed. And every sad thing in the end comes back to us. That's beautiful. See, that's different than every other story we tell. Every story we tell is just about the defeat of evil. Here's where Christianity comes and says, it goes, no, he doesn't do defeat it. He's gonna, re he's gonna restore, redeem. It's like the difference between almost every story. How many of you have seen Moana? Right, Moana, right? Like my kids take me to these movies. I'm sitting watching Moana. At the end of Moana, I'm like, that story is very similar to Christianity in a different way than most stories. See, most stories have an antagonist and then the antagonist gets defeated in the end. But, but, but Moana is different because the antagonist is Tefiti. And what Moana is trying to do is not just defeat. What, what does she end up doing in the end? She ends up restoring Tefiti, turning evil. That climactic scene at the end, Moana's there and the sea parts and this big Tefiti like deep fire demons like Rawr! coming to kill her. And she goes, Wanna start in my heart just to find you. This will not you. This is not who you are. Don't you know who you are? Right? She, she gets that. Now listen. Shut up. She gives the heart back to Tafiti, and this like fire figure gets, turns back into grass, and we all want to go to Hawaii. Right? Because we're all like, crap. You live the movie through, you're like, you started looking up flights. I know you did. You're like, I just want to be in Hawaii right now. Because that's the beauty. She doesn't chop Tafiti's head off. Sword, <laughs> credits roll. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. She restores the evil. Turns it backward. This is why he comes. God with us comes down to take your life, your disaster of a life. You're wrecked the mistakes you've made, the decisions you've made because you're selfish and narcissistic and turned in on yourself. 
because you're all about you and the universe revolves around you and then God enters in. This is the beauty of Christianity. Religion tells you you got to earn it. You got to climb the mountain. You got to take the pilgrimage. You got to be nice to old ladies. You got to figure it out on your own. And Christianity goes, forget all that. I came down to save you. I came down the mountain to do what you could not do for yourself. And now here's the scandal. And I'll end with this and pray for us. The scandal is, do you actually have, like, look at, look at verse, uh, look at verse uh, 20. <clears throat> it says, uh, call him uh, so, uh, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid. That's the thing that's supposed to echo in most of our brains right now. Because some of you, the reason you haven't become a Christian, the reason that you're still a Joseph, is not because of what you believe. It's not because of the way you behave. The, the, the angel's not calling Joseph out for his life. He's not saying, oh, you're too bad of a guy. You believe the wrong things. He says, you're a coward. Do not be afraid. The reason some of you have pushed away from Christianity ain't because you are not philosophically convinced. It ain't because the science doesn't add up. It's because you're a coward. Because you're afraid of what it's going to do with your money life. It's going to invade. It's going to, what's it going to do at work? What's it going to do among your family? What are people going to think of me? What about my neighbors? Listen, I was afraid of all this. When I, when I became a Christian, everybody I knew wasn't a Christian anymore. Or none of them were Christians. I went from the guy smoking weed and doing drugs one day, going back in and going into the same garage I was at smoking weed three weeks before and going in and telling that whole group of people, 30 people on a Friday night about Jesus. I was still high because they were all smoking weed, but I had stopped. <laughs> But I had to figure out what, what is the cost of this for me. And when my family finally came to my baptism, and they're all like, you're part of a cult. I'm like, I'm not part of a cult. They said, what'd you do on Sunday? I said, ate the flesh and drank the blood of a dead man. And then they came to my, came to my baptism. I'm dressed up in a big white sheet, right? Like I'm like an angel at a Christmas pageant. I'm like, hey, friends. All my 19-year-old buddies are like, what is going on here? I swear I'm not part of a cult. Come on in. <laughs> But I had to ask those questions. See, some of you, here's where you're stuck. You're stuck in the slavery of your own comfort. And that's where Christmas just breaks apart. Mary's comfortable, Joseph's comfortable, and Christmas enters in and goes, get out of the comfort. You are a slave to it, to your own aesthetical life. Soren Kierkegaard talked about you are, when you choose everything about your life is choose on how you feel about something, you're actually a slave in an inverted way because you haven't tied yourself to anything that's outside of your own comfort. You've just created a whole world where you get to choose what is right and what is wrong. And that is a form of slavery. Um, my grandfather was, uh, uh, he was 95 years old, and my brother and I went to visit him one day. We called him up. We said, we're going to come visit you, and his line was dead. We finally found him in some big, massive house outside of Toronto where this young couple had done this scam, and they would befriended my grandfather. He was in his 90s, so they were waiting for him to die. And so what they do is they befriend an old person, give him a house for a bit, assume he's going to die soon, and drain him of all his money. So we went to tell my grandfather about this and say, listen, these people don't actually love you. They don't care about you. So you just need to run because the truth is going to set you free. And so we walked in the door. We said, grandfather, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. And he looked at me and he goes, I don't want to go. I know they're draining my money. I don't care. I get three square meals a day. I'm in a warm house and I have companionship. And in that moment, I realized there are some people who don't want to be free. It's easier. Do not rupture my life. Do not challenge me. I got a good thing going. And some of you are in that moment. And the reason it says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because some of you are like, I, I, the reason I don't want to accept Christianity is because I'm just terrified. 
And you're sitting in your own, you're like, dude, I got three square meals. I'm good, man. Don't mess this up for me. And Christianity comes along and it goes, be scandalized. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that this story would not be just sentimental, but would actually cut through and challenge us and that the thinkers among us would realize that not only is Christianity beautiful, but it's true. And the feelers among us would realize that it's not only true, but it's beautiful. And it gets into our affections and it not only changes what we do, because that's religion, it changes what we want to do. It changes what we take pleasure in. It changes what we take joy in. And so I just pray that this entire season just preaches that to us. You weren't good enough. That's why I had to come. You couldn't earn it. That's why I had to come. And that we'd be scandalized by it. We'd be confronted by it. We'd be uncomfortable about it. And we'd give our life to you, Jesus, the one who came, God with us the one who died on a cross, took our sin, took on the wrath of God, paid the price, went in our place, lived the perfect life that we could not live. All of this is wrapped up in this. And that we'd surrender to it as scary as it might be. Do not be afraid. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.